Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, after Jose Valim's keynote at ElixirConf, he mentioned online that he was going to be sharing more of that same information around the strong arrows, but in a blog post form. And so he's done that now, and it's actually been published on the Elixir Lang blog. So you can check it out. It's titled Strong Arrows, A New Approach to Gradual Typing. And it goes deeper and expands further on what he was talking about in his keynote with a fair bit more code to give examples and comparisons to other languages and stuff. It's a great resource because sometimes you prefer to read something or it's easier to do a find in it to refer back to something like that. Anyway, so glad to see that. Yeah, speaking of mediums, that's a good blog post to read. Uh, Of course, we have the conference talk in video form, but now there's also a podcast episode. So audio form to talk about Elixir's type system developments. We saw Jose appear on the Software Unscripted podcast to talk more about the gradual versus static typing thing. So if you want to hear more about that before we inevitably get Jose back on here (laughs) to talk about it, you can go check out Software Unscripted, which is also another great podcast. Changing gears a little bit, we saw a elegant little CSS trick on the platform, which shall not be named, (laughs) but we'll drop a link to it by Mike Clark. It's a little trick to display an empty state when rendering a large collection with live view streams. Of course, this works with more things than just live view streams, but the trick here is this hidden along with the last block tailwind styles. And so if this is the last block, then it will not be hidden. And so it's kind of a cool little trick, which basically means if there's nothing that is rendered from your for loop that goes over your live view streams or whatever else you're iterating over, then this message here that says, there's nothing here yet, be the first one to say something or post something will actually be shown. But then as soon as something gets rendered, it's no longer the last block. So it's not hidden. So it's, it's kind of a little tricky, sneaky way to get your like, if this is blank functionality. Yeah, it moves the logic away from like evaluation in the Hex or EEX template and moves it to just be simple CSS styles. So that's great. The reason for even needing to do this is because with streams, you can't tell that it's empty because you're getting like an update and you might get no more in this update, but there are things in the DOM from before. So you can't just do your easy evaluating in the template saying, if it's nothing or empty, you can't do that. Clever. So this is a nice little CSS only way to do it. And next up, LiveView 0.20.0 was released. This one's cool. So this is a lot of what Chris McCord was talking about in his keynote. And his keynote was really packed with a lot of different things that were coming with LiveView. And so now they're here and hitting. And so the big thing is with this change log. So we have a link to the change log in the show notes. But one of the first things you'll notice is there's a whole bunch of deprecations. So hitting the 20 as kind of a good point in breaking off some of these things. This includes things like deprecating the sigil L in favor of sigil H. And things that we've been seeing before, like we're moving away from live underscore patch in favor of the dot link component with a patch attribute. So I know I've made a lot of those changes in some of my apps and I may have missed some. So now with the deprecation warnings, that'll resurface and it'll draw attention to where I haven't made some of those conversions yet. What are some of the other things you guys saw in this change log? I was telling Mark and David earlier that 
there's all these little tiny bullet points with not a lot of description about them. Like there's one, for example, that says, you can now pass at myself to the Phoenix Live View send update. And I stared at that for a long while, wondering what the implications were. <laughs> and I went and looked at the docs and there's a little example of a component and it's and it passes in an attribute like on complete, send update myself completed. I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So it's like, it's feeling a little more react in that sense where it's like, this is a callback kind of when you're done, call this function and I automatically know how to send the event back to myself. So that's interesting. It's a very tiny bullet point that I feel like could probably be like a blog post. <laughs> uh, there's also a, another tiny bullet point on supporting change tracking on access.get. So for what it's worth, if you're using a map and you just access it with the square brackets and you get a key out of there, that's already change tracked. So no change there. But there is like a higher level, maybe lower level. I don't know which way it goes, but less common way that is accessed. And that's through the module called access.get that didn't support change tracking. So now that is supported if you happen to be using that module instead of like the square bracket access. And I'm sure there's still something another implication in there, but hey, that's nice consistency, you know, but maybe the biggest part and maybe the explanation for why all these things are being deprecated is that, according to Chris, this is the last major change before 1.0. What? What? 1.0? 1.0. <laughs> Phoenix Live View 1.0. Okay. When that happens, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about it because Live View has been pretty instrumental in our elixir economy it's been pretty 1.0 for me for a while now <laughs> right exactly <laughs> for sure anyway so it's nice to see that coming up we'll highlight it again when it happens and i do want to mention some more stuff there were some backward incompatible changes which was just removing things that were previously deprecated i like that approach where we get these deprecation warnings so there's some new deprecation warnings in this release but it still works right you can still ship your app and it's not going to stop you from like getting that critical fix out right now. Like you can still do that. But what this is doing is just now we're actually hard deleting some of these previously deprecated things. So that's in there just to be aware of. Also, there's some bug fixes, a whole bunch of bug fixes. We'll have a link in the show notes where you can check those out. But then the big one that we just have to, we have to touch on this, right? So one of the big things Chris was talking about in his keynote was this whole new idea of async assigns or it's called assign underscore async, and then start async. And there's a cancel as well. And so all of that has now been added. That includes async result for declaratively handling async operations in a live view or live component. So that's something I definitely want to play with. I want to see how well it works for the, the kinds of things I was thinking of using it for. Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps. With many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app, and a powerful CLI, it's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. All right, almost moving on from live view. We've got a little live book tease that was spotted online, so we got a link to it. But the image is of, well, uh, the website of live book, but it highlights a new section, a new, a new part of the integrations page highlighting authentication. That's pretty nifty. So we already know that Livebook has got like a bunch of integrations with things like smart cells, for example. There's smart cells are integrating into these other, you know, kind of libraries and displaying them well. That's really nice. 
but authentication seems pretty nice. It means most likely that the Lightbook documentation examples of like authentication flows or maybe something like little OAuth. I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, I did see something about Tailscale in there. I do see something about Cloudflare, zero trust in there. So like, I don't know. So it's purely speculation. So take all of what I'm about to say is great with a grain of salt, but perhaps this is the work of, of Livebook to integrate into existing authentication flows because your Livebook has access to runtimes with sensitive data. And so this is a mechanism to authenticate that you're allowed to do that. <laughs> I don't know. It could be, it could be wrong. It could be wrong, but we'll look out for it in the 0.11 release, which might be another week or two away. And next up, Wojtek Mock shared a little success story and a reminder. He was somewhere, presumably away from his computer, because he wanted to quickly check some Erlang stuff, and he had access to his mom's MacBook, but probably not his normal setup. And he probably doesn't normally develop on his mom's MacBook, that's what I'm guessing. He remembered that he could use the website beammachine.cloud. So this site is created by the online Elixir persona Digit, and their work is part of the Burrito Project, which Burrito is all about wrapping up Elixir and Erlang runtimes in something that's like a single executable to make it portable. And what this website does is it makes it really easy to click which platform you're on and the CPU architecture and the version of OTP that you want, and then you can just download it. So Wojtek was able to quickly grab the OTP binary that he needed to test and verify what he wanted, and he's able to do that without having to install a whole bunch of stuff on this computer that really wasn't his. That was the cool part. So I just wanted to pass that along that this resource exists and it is run by Digit. So if that's the sort of thing you would like to use, Digit has requested, you know, if people are going to be downloading and using it as a more active resource, hey, please donate some funds because bandwidth, you know, it costs money. Anyway, great resource for the community and appreciate the work done for it. Well, we saw another blog post talking about Chart.js, and this one has a really excellent graphic of Phoenix and charts in the background, so we've got to put it in the show notes <laughs> for you to check out. Charts are awesome. They add something to everyone's apps. So visual, so fun. And so yet another blog post talking about another way to add Chart.js to Live View, how to, how to wire it in with hooks, and how to make it usable so that you build the hook once and you're done, one and done. It's an interesting blog post, so give it a look if you're looking into charts in Live View. All right, next up is a blog post by Cindy Mint that talks about how to handle 404 pages and handling other kinds of errors in Live Views. So I'm very well attuned to the dead view way of how to do these kinds of things, but now that we've reorganized into these HTML views or HTML modules, right? And these helpers and things. And now that everything going forward henceforth is a live view, I guess I'm just not as knowledgeable as what the pattern should be. Enter Sundi Mint's blog post that will go and review the options for you and what you can do with Phoenix's new patterns. A short version of it is that you can create your own HTML view. I don't know if to call it a view, a new HTML <laughs> template, I guess, or helpers. And then you have it in your live views. You can raise an error, which will then be captured by this kind of like fallback HTML view. And that gives you an opportunity to customize your, your error pages, such as like 404 pages and, you know, whatnot. All right. I'm sure I messed that up in some way. So go check out SUNY Mint's blog post and you'll be enlightened on how to handle errors a little bit better with 
Phoenix Live View, and the new way of doing things. And next up, we saw five more ElixirConf videos have been released. So we have a link to the YouTube playlist. And if you just keep a handy link to that playlist, then as more videos are released over time, they'll just show up in there. What I like about having access to playlists like these is because like if I'm sitting down for lunch at work and I want to just try and keep up on some of these things, I'll watch one of these videos maybe at 1.5 speed or 2 speed depending on the content and how, how dense it is. But then I'll just be able to enjoy that and absorb some more information over a lunch break. If you do something like that, you got to be sure to share it with your coworkers so you can bring up the whole team with new ideas and things to to try and adopt. I already re-listened to Sean Moriarty's ML Ops and Elixir, so great talk. All right, last up, SpawnFest reminder. SpawnFest, what is it? It is a 48-hour online software development contest, and it starts on October 28th at 01 UTC. <laughs> yeah. Not zero zero. <laughs> and ends the next day at twenty three fifty nine UTC. So it's really not forty eight hours, it's forty seven and fifty eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh well, registration closes five days prior to the start date, and the judges have a month to evaluate. So if you're interested to participate, spawnfest.org is the website you should go to and go check things out. Every spawnfest has really interesting things that come out of it, so I'm pretty excited to see what this year's creatives will come out with. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.